we will trust in the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Today is going to be a little bit different. Brother David, he and I were talking right before service, and today will be just a little bit different. I have notes, and to the media team, I will use more than likely all of the scriptures that I have, but my, my notes are a, a very loose interpretation of what God wants to say. So I may not stay right with my notes, but if I jump around, I will give you a, a heads up and I'll let y'all know when to put up my title. But with that, we're going to get started. We're going to start, if you have your Bibles, in the book of John, chapter 14 and verse 12. And these are the words of Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. He's going away. And so he's leaving what has to happen in our hands. So today I'm going to teach you, and it's not really so much preaching, I don't think. We'll see. It's in God's hands. But one simple concept. Do. Do. The word do is a word that probably every single one of us have used at some point or other, and it's not a complicated word. It's two letters, and the concept is very easy to grasp. The word most often is used as a verb, and it has two primary definitions. One is to perform, as in an action, the precise nature of which is often unspecified. Our opening verse, the works that I do, wasn't a specific work, just the works that I do shall he do. It was to perform an action. The action wasn't specified, but you know the action is going to be performed. The second definition is to achieve or to complete. You are going to do a task. You are going to do something to receive something. However, in everything that we do, we must do it correctly. In order for something to be accomplished, we start out to set, we set out to do something. There is a process that must be accomplished in order to do it successfully. For instance, if I have a flat tire on my truck, whenever I go home after church this evening, I can't get a squeegee and some soapy water and start cleaning the windshield and expect my tires to air up. It doesn't work that way. 
if I want to air up my tires, there's a specific process that I have to go through in order to do that task and to accomplish the end goal. God is in the process of what he does and what he wants to do through us. And just to let you know, God always has a process and he has a purpose and he doesn't want to sit idle. Even since the Old Testament, he has not sat idle. He did things. He spoke and creation happened. He was in the process of doing. I'm going to read you a passage from Ezekiel. And today I'm going to read multiple passages. Some of them will be lengthy in order for you to get the full context. And so if you're not somebody that likes to hear a whole lot of Scripture, sorry, you're going to hear a whole lot of Scripture. You're my captive audience for the next few minutes. Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 33, and I'm reading this out of the the ESV. And this is what God is saying through Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited. This is at a time when Israel and Judah has been laid to waste. And the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say... This land that was desolate has become like a garden of Eden, and the waste and desolation and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. And he doesn't stop there. Verse 37, thus says the Lord, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. Like the flock for sacrifices, they didn't bring just a couple of lambs for sacrifices. If there were going to be lambs in Jerusalem, for there to be sacrifices, there had to be a lot because that was their most populous city. Like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so shall the waste cities, which right now are laying in ruin, they shall be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. He said, I'm not just going to rebuild I'm not just going to let the people that are there kind of move in and, and take up residence in these rebuilt places. I'm also going to fill them to overflowing. And you will know that I have done it. I have spoken it. I am God and I will do it. And God will al- allow us to also ask of him things to do for us. Back to verse 37. Thus says the Lord God. This also will I let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. We're going to talk about asking in a little bit as well. I will let them ask me to do for them to increase the people like a flock. And yes, this verse says house of Israel. But remember that we are grafted into 
the house of Israel. We are the adoption. Brother Keith, are, are, I mean, right, we use that, ver, that phrase grafted in, but is that actually Bible? Yes, actually it is. Romans chapter 11 and verse 17. But some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. We are grafted in. We are grafted into the family of God, the body of Christ, and so the promises apply to us as well. So then, that verse in Ezekiel, it says God will allow us to ask him to do for us, also applies to us. And yes, he says in that verse, I will let them ask this thing to increase the people as a flock. But in the New Testament, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Brother Bruce brought up an interesting point Wednesday night whenever he was talking about God telling us to ask. And God took that and put this illustration in my mind because things make so much more sense to me whenever I have a word picture and an example and I can visualize in my head oh that's how that works you just explain a concept to me and I may not understand it but you give me a practical example and then all the pieces fit together so why do we ask when God already knows I mean we know God said ask we ask because he said to and he's God so it's kind of smart to do what he says we should do but why that's our human nature we want to know why well, think about this. Whenever your children were growing, or for those of you that don't have children, but sometimes you're in charge of little ones, and you can see them struggling at a task, and you want to help them, but you know they're trying to be a big boy or a big girl, and they're trying to do it themselves. I, I'm reminded of a time that we were, we were at a, a reception and I don't even remember whether it was, it was Ella or Joel at the time, but they were very small, just learning how to eat on their own. And we had, you know, the little plate, and there was some little sausages or something and, you know, crackers, and, and there were grapes. And my child had a fork and some grapes, and they were trying to stab the grapes with a plastic fork and I just remember in my mind thinking that grape is fixing to fly across the room. But they were trying to do it themselves. They were, and, and so my arms were twitching to help them, but I knew that they wanted to do it themselves. Or what about if a child is learning to swim or learning to ride a bike and you can see that they are struggling, but you know they want to do it themselves. And as a parent or as somebody over them, you're, you're wanting to, to rush in and help them do that thing. And then whenever they say, I need help, then you are immediately at their side because you were already watching and you already knew they need help. And as soon as they look up to you and say, help then you're immediately there and ready to do whatever the thing is that needs doing. 
that's the way God is with us. He's not going to force help on us as long as we think we can do it on our own. He's going to let us try. But he's there, arms twitching. I can, just like, let me help you. I, I, can, I can help you with that if you just, just let daddy handle it. And whenever we look up and say, help, that's when he swoops in. That's why we ask. That's why we ask. Among us, God desires to, and now even already is, doing a new thing. The Bible is even where we get that phrase, do a new thing. It comes from Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? If God's doing something new, it's going to be something that's going to make you go, oh. It's not going to be something you can casually miss. God's doing a new thing, and shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In other words, in the wilderness where there are no paths, everything's grown up, I'm going to make a path. In the desert where there's not a drop of water, I'm going to make rivers. It's going to be something that you will recognize God did this. The God of all creation the one who spoke everything that exists into being is here right now. And he is doing a new thing in our midst and among us. We, we, have, not, we have not for a long time had the hunger and the thirst for the presence of God that we have today. We haven't had the, the prayer and the, and the desire for prayer that, that has been in our church now in a long time. And God has been using that prayer that has been going forth to stir us up and to till the ground and to make us ready for what He is going to do. Not just the church in general, but here in Bentley. God has been moving among us and God is calling out to hearts and minds and drawing people to Himself. God is doing miracles, and God is doing a new thing in us. Here today, He is starting to do a new thing. However, it's not all up to God to do, because the Bible also says there are things for us to do. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 says, But watch thou in all things. In other words, keep a lookout, keep your eyes open on what's happening endure afflictions don't just push them back but endure and go through afflictions do the work of an evangelist an evangelist goes and preaches the gospel which is what we are called to do go into all the nations we are to do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry whatever that ministry may be we are required to do things in the kingdom of God, not just to sit back and watch Daddy do for us. We are to take an active part in what God is doing. And so sometimes that can be difficult because we don't feel that we are equipped. We don't feel that we are able to do, that we have the ability. Well, that's okay because God has a process in what He does to make us ready for what we do. 
2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, According to His, God's divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. They come from God. It's not something you make up. It comes from God. Through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these precious promises ye might be partakers in the divine nature, because we're grafted in, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, all the things that God gives you, besides all the things that are just handed to you because you are part of the family of God, beside this, giving all diligence, means pay attention, keep your eyes focused on what God's doing, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. So God gives you the promise. He gives you the knowledge. He gives you the blessings. But the adding is up to us. We have to add to our faith knowledge and virtue and temperance and all of these things. Verse 9. But he that lacks these things is blind. The things that we are to add to what God's given us. If you lack these things, you're blind and you cannot see afar off and you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you, an opening shall be ministered, given unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You do these things, you're not only not going to fall, but God's going to open a doorway for you into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. I'm going to tell you, you're responsible for this. You want the doorway to heaven to open? you got to add this stuff to you. God's given you the opportunity, but you've got things you've got to do, and I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things. Though you know them and be established in present truth. I have nothing against what you know, but I'm telling you there are things you got to do. Verse 13, yea, I think it meet or good as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. This is your responsibility. It's not mine. It's not Brother Bruce's. It's not the Sunday school teachers. It's not the youth pastor. It's your responsibility to add these things to yourself with God's help. You do. Luke chapter 10, another long passage. But stay with me. Verse 10, starting in verse, or chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, being Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, 
what's written to the law? How do you read it? And the man answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, Thou hast answered right. This do, and you shall live. But he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself unto Jesus, said, And who is my neighbor? Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) And Jesus answered and said, It's like this. Certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his clothing, his raiment, wounded him, and left, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, came and looked at him. Now, the priest glanced and just kind of went over. The Levite came and actually looked at him and then passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was the despised because they were half Jew and half Assyrian, which were the people that came in and killed the Jews repeatedly back in the Old Testament, the enemy of the Jews, not just another Gentile nation, but they were the hated ones. In fact, the Assyrians were the first nation to practice terror and torture as a weapon of war. Those people were mingled with Jews and became the Samaritans, and the pure-blooded Jews despised the Samaritans. That's why Jesus uses the Samaritan as the example. But a certain Samaritan, the hated one, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more than this, when I come back, I will repay. Now, Mr. Lawyer, Of these, what do you think? Who was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, Go and do likewise to the hated, to the despised, to the ones you don't agree with, to the ones you don't like, to the ones that don't have the same political views as you, the one that doesn't have the same identity as you, you go and you do likewise. We, we have this concept of the golden rule. Matthew 7 and 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also Likewise, doing and moving, doing again, doing a new thing. Because if you were lost in your sins and you were in a place where you could not be here because you felt that you couldn't or you couldn't physically make it, you were in a place that was not good and somebody told you, somebody told you, I'm praying for you, 
Do you want to come to church with me? Do you want somebody reached out to you and gave you a lifeline? Think back to when you were not in church or think back to a time whenever you were down and you were, you were felt like the weight of the world was on you and somebody reached out to you and gave you a lifeline. How did that make you feel? And whenever you come in contact with people that are not in church, or maybe they were in church and now they're not, or maybe they look like they have no concept of what you know as church, don't you think they need a lifeline? Don't you think they need somebody to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Hey, is there something I can pray for you for? I just want to let you know I love you. I may not agree with every decision that you make, but I want you to know that you're loved. Whatever you would that men would do to you, do you also to them. Whatever God is doing, we can't know what he's doing until we see it, until we behold it. More than just looking, but taking in and understand. You know, there's, there's a phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Different people can like different things. Some people think the, be the beach is the most beautiful place in the world. Some people can't stand the beach and they think the mountains are the most beautiful place in the world. Or whatever. Your concept of beauty is unique to you. Not everybody shares your concept of beauty. The same thing goes for taste. Not everybody has the same taste. Some of us really enjoy raising cane. Some of us do not. The food is the same. The only difference is the person eating it and their preference. Tastes are different. Concept of beauty is different. And so we, we approach life and we approach the things around us and the things of God with different perspectives. It's a love it or hate it kind of a dichotomy. But where does the difference come from. Mason would never know that he doesn't like canes unless he tasted it. He wouldn't, he would have no, now small children a lot of times will say, well, I don't like that. Have you ever eaten it? No. Well, you don't know. But once you've tasted it and you know either I like that or I don't like that, you have a comparison in your mind. Psalms chapter 34 and 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. You cannot experience the things of God and know what God is doing until you taste it and you do what God is wanting you to do to be a part of the things that are going on. It's great whenever God draws people like he did the past, this past Sunday and the Sunday before and the church was full of visitors. However, I feel in my spirit that God did that and drew those people to show us there are hungry people out there looking for a place to connect with God. And while God can and will draw hungry hearts, we are expected to do the work of an evangelist. The Great Commission was given to us us. God didn't say, you go out there and have good church and I'll send people to you. That was not the concept. So how many people did you invite to church this week? How many people did you invite to church this week? Whenever there are empty spots beside us, that should be the first question that we ask ourselves. How many people did I invite to church this week? 
How many people did I pray with this week? We are expected to be part of what God is doing, not just to observe. And the reason for that, the reason I can say that with absolute certainty is because of what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one, and it has many members, and all members are of one body, though many, they're one body, so is it with Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I don't belong to the body. I'm not up there preaching. I'm not up there singing. I'm not helping in Sunday school. I'm not helping on the technical staff. I wouldn't make it any less part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less the part, a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, then where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we're all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I've never looked at anybody and said, man, I bet you have a beautiful colon. But it's kind of a necessary part. Just saying. The parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So how about the, piece, the pieces and parts of the body that don't stand on the platform are even more important to the body of Christ than the pieces that are on the platform because there needs to be prayer. There needs to be evangelism. There needs to be somebody cleaning the church. There needs to be security. There needs to be somebody in the nursery. There needs to be, you're not looking at those people right now, but they are absolutely necessary to the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. Verse 23, And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our indispensable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require because everybody sees them. Oh, your hair is nice today. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the body. The mind of Christ must be in us. But if that mind of Christ is in us, it's not just there for our benefit. Our natural mind is there to give impetus, thought, and direction to our actions that the body then carries out. You think, 
I'd sure like some tiny spicy chicken. I like tiny spicy chicken. But I can't have some unless there's a body that goes to get it, either mine or somebody else's. Likewise, the mind of Christ might give us an unction and a nudge. That person needs help. They need hope. They need Jesus. But will they receive what they need unless the body, you and me, unless we do something about it? We are the body. What is the body doing? What actions are we taking? We typically eat at a table. And if we only eat at a table and then get up and go lay on the couch until the next meal, what happens to us? We gain weight. We're no longer able to be active as we used to be. We might not be able to do the things that we used to be able to do. The church is the table where we are fed. When we get up from this table, we cannot let our spiritual man rest and relax until the next service or we risk doing the same exact thing in the spirit. We have blessings that come to us but don't get through us. We stop being active in the work of the ministry and we're no longer able to be effective in the things of God that he has called us to do outside of the church. I thank the Lord for every single person that has a position in this church. Every nursery worker that we have. And if you like kids, you love kids, and you have the ability to give a Sunday a month or two Sundays a month or a Wednesday night to the nursery, then you should be doing that because God's given you a love for that. You have tasted and seen. You love kids. I am not the person to be in the nursery. Just telling you. The, the screaming and the hollering, I, I, I think I would climb the walls. That's not me. But maybe that's you. You can help there. Our technical staff, they do an awesome job. If you can hear things and you know, ooh, that song's off or that, that note is off or, or that's too loud or that's not, maybe you could help in the sound ministry. Maybe you could help in the media ministry. Maybe you could help in the video ministry. God's given you the ability Maybe you should use it. Every ministry, every teacher, our security, our technical staff, our musicians, our singers, our ministers, our support staff, I'm thankful for all of those positions. They need to be done, and we should be using every talent and ability that we have to support the church in the church. But all of those things are for the edifying of the body. They are not part of what we are individually called by God to do, which is to reach the lost. God is calling us all to a hunger for souls. Why did Jesus come? Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose. That was why he came. And we're the body. So what's the body doing to accomplish that work? It's not the responsibility of this pulpit to reach the world. The responsibility of this pulpit is to edify the body of Christ. To preach the word to those that can hear it in here and on the webcast. But all of us are called to be out there and to reach and grab hands and say, Come with me to church. 
come to a place. Or if you're not going to come, at least let me pray with you here and now, right now. What do you need? Can I help? I am part of the body of Christ. What is the body doing? God wants to do a new thing in us this morning. God wants to start a new thing in here this morning. God wants not for just His Spirit to draw people, but God wants us individually to take responsibility for getting people to come and to sit and hear the message of God. I pray in the name of Jesus conviction over every single one of us for every person that we pass that God gives us an unction and if we don't respond to it may God convict us we are the body and the body has to reach out and grab and pull souls back from the fire they are going to play music And the rest of this service is yours. As awkward as it was whenever I stood up here and said nothing, God has spoken and has given us a message. And He is now waiting for our response. He's doing a new thing. How will you respond?